Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast in my home is my friend Liv Mendoza Haynes. Welcome to the podcast, Liv. Thank you. I'm really excited. <laughs> I became aware of Liv um, because she spoke at Women's Conference at BYU in April of 2021. And I'm looking at a picture with Liv on the stage with the Relief Society General Presidency. And they're giving a talk about creating belonging and creating Zion within the Relief Society organization. And they introduced you as part of that um, event as a queer Latter-day Saint. And, mm -hmm. um, and you shared a little bit of your story, and they talked about the need to create belonging for all members of the church, and particularly in the Relief Society in this. And um, I just loved what happened that day and thought it would be wonderful if you would come on the podcast and share more of your story. By background, Liv is married um, married to Matthew, who's actually here in the home supporting her. Um, always like it when guests come. They are um, been married just under two years. Um, they have gone through the how do you IV? What's it called in vitro? IVF in IV vitro fertilization. And tell our listeners what where you are with that. Well, we started our process, I believe, in January this year, and we are happy that we're currently pregnant, 27 weeks in, and expecting our little miracle baby boy. What's your due date for our listeners? December 3rd. December 3rd. So some of you might even be listening to this podcast in December of 2021, but um, way to go for, for both of you working through that process and and having this little boy and um, that's coming. And what a wonderful, I've had a chance to visit with Matthew and Liv before we went live, and just a wonderful couple, um, wonderful Latter-day Saints, wonderful marriage. And and I, I um, Liv is, um, grew up in Mexico. She has a law degree. She's a convert to the church. Mm -hmm. um, she's involved in North Star. But this um, at Women's Conference was probably her first chance to, talk about being queer for the first time on a broader stage. And there's so many, I believe there's just as many queer or LGBTQ or lesbian women in the church as there are men, but often their stories kind of get behind all the men's stories. And I'm <laughs> guilty of that in this podcast. We've had a lot more men on the podcast sharing their experience than women. So for about 400 reasons, I'm just so glad you're here. And I think this will be helpful for those of you that are um, queer and women to hear Liv share uh, her story for those of you that are better under trying to understand women in this space. And I think the things that Liv share will help all of us better create Zion and better create a feeling of belonging and let people be who they are and help them feel needed. Is that okay for an introduction, Liv? Yeah, that is perfect. <laughs> so I'm just going to turn it over to you. I'd love you just to tell your story. Yeah, well... I, as you mentioned, I'm a convert. However, I was always very religious. I grew up in a very Catholic family, um, dressed me as Le Virgen Maria, uh, as Mary or Virgen de Guadalupe. I can't even remember how many times. <laughs> and it was always a big part of my life. Um, at some point when I was probably around 18, I well, since I was in Catholic school, so like sixth to ninth grade, 
I noticed there were things that just didn't make sense and that I started questioning. So uh, when I was 18, that I was this is the adult age in Mexico is when I started researching other churches and trying to find what made more sense to me. And eventually I became a member when I was 21 and it has been a journey since then. I always felt that the voice of women for many reasons was not as loud, but being a Mexican firecracker, I've always been pretty loud. <laughs> so I think it just made sense that I became more and more and more outspoken as I felt more comfortable, not only as a member of the church in general, but as a queer member of the church in the church. And this opportunity to go to BYU Women's Conference came as a surprise uh, thanks to some, as one of my friends said, you have friends in high places and that's how your name got thrown in the hat. And it was a big symbol of trust also of people knowing that I was going to be honest, I was going to be truthful. And also that just because I had the opportunity to be there, it didn't mean that everything in my journey has been perfect. Of course, I only had like five or six minutes to talk. And I really appreciate this opportunity of like the, the aftermath, what happened after conference and address some of the comments that I've received, questions that I received. And the first one that I would want to talk about is precisely that idea of, well, she's married. She didn't say she was married. She's um, trying to get pregnant. So is she actually queer? Is she not queer? Is it valid as she's talking? Why didn't they choose a trans person? Why didn't you, they choose a non-binary person? And honestly, I also have those questions. And a lot of people reach out and say, well, you didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about that. And it was only five minutes. <laughs> like, I, I understand that there's so many things that I couldn't go into details. There's so many demographics that are still not being represented, not only in public spaces, but they're not even properly addressed in handbooks or in our chapels or with our leadership committees. But that doesn't mean that one journey is less or more valid than others. For many years, all, all we could hear about was about the gay men. And most of the groups were focused on the gay men and their journeys and what they should do. And women were this, oh, yeah, maybe. But I think in, in general, not even within the LGBTQ plus community, we fail for a long time to acknowledge that women also have intimacy they also have a gender identity they also have a gender orientation and is it is nice to have this opportunity to gain those spaces and hopefully to also open it to other demographics and work together um as a latina immigrant woman who's queer trust me a lot of times i hear so many voices in public spaces and I feel like I have to choose which part of my personality gets the spotlight in that moment. And that's not fair because I don't stop being a woman. I don't stop being an immigrant. I don't stop 
being Latina. I don't stop being queer. I don't stop being a woman with infertility issues. And I am grateful for the for the opportunities in which I see someone or hear someone that I feel I can identify with and represents me. But I also need to keep advocating and fighting for those whose voices are not heard yet. And that's also why I continue to learn. And I don't know a lot about the trans experience. So I try to ask my friends. I try to read and educate myself. But I really want people to have that very, very clear that just because I was the one on stage, it didn't mean that not all of us deserve a space on that stage. Um, and also, yes, if you see me on the streets, I might not always look as put together because I'm not as fond of makeup and getting my hair done and even wearing dresses. With the pregnancy, it has been more comfortable. But the, thing, the other thing was she didn't mention she's married. And I think... I honestly, and I have a confession to make in all my rehearsals and all my notes, being a wife was one of the labels or adjectives that I would mention in my introduction. I do not know why on that day, in that moment, it just slipped my mind. I'm not ashamed of being married to a man. I'm not advocating that mixed orientation marriages is the solution for everyone because I don't even think it's a solution. It's a situation that you find yourself in life. I was wearing my wedding, my wedding ring, so I wasn't really trying to hide it or to deceive anyone. It's just in that moment, I said what I felt needed to be said and for anyone that found me on social media or found my husband, we have never hide, hidden our marriage ever. I'm really proud of being married to a man and especially to Matthew because he is my best friend. And we have a relationship that we work every day on building that is, it might not be perfect, but it's a constant work. And I am a truly, uh, uh, I really believe that getting sealed in a temple does not guarantee an eternal marriage. It's the decisions that you make every day that help you build that relationship and get to know each other better. I am blessed to a certain degree. I don't know if blessed is the right word, but it's the one in my mind. Um, because I didn't grow up a lot of time I felt guilty for not growing up in the church. I did not know all the mastery scriptures. I did not go to young women. I can't. Well, I'm learning now to distinguish the songs, the primary songs from the hymn book songs. And I just learned to conduct music last week. So there were a lot of things that I felt that I had missed by not growing up in the church. But at the same time, I also did not spend as many years hearing or seeing things that could have been hurtful. I did not have to see many transitions that other people have been impacted for. I did not have a leader tell me 
you can't be near the youth or the primary children because you are queer or because this or that. No one has ever really accused me within my words <laughs> of being a threat to the integrity of our work. And I also was never presented with the idea of marriage as a solution or a cure to being queer. I had the opportunity to go into a relationship, not even into a marriage, but from the, our dating stages, completely open. And tell, I told Matthew after our first date that I had been involved with women and what my attractions were. And I was also very clear on the fact that I was not going to do like a purge of my life to be this clean, perfect, cookie baking wife that maybe he had dreamt for for many years. Nothing against people baking cookies. I'm just really bad at it. Matthew's a great baker. But I, I've seen, and mostly after the conference, so many people have reached out to me and asked, well, should I get married? Should I only date men? Should I? Because it's mostly women that have reached out to me and moms, a lot of moms. And I'm like, I feel, and I want to emphasize is that I think I mentioned at conference, but I was like, this is what has worked for me. I went into a mixed orientation marriage because I fell in love with my husband. I didn't go into a mixed orientation marriage hoping that I wasn't going to feel any attraction for anyone else ever again, because I would be lying. Sometimes we are watching a movie together and I just love that we have the trust and the honesty to both criticize people's outfits and new hairstyles. And if this actress looks better now and it looked better in a different movie that we saw her. And even Matthew, I feel, has been way open about, oh, yeah, I'm not LGBTQ, but this actor's pretty hot and it might be a guy like. I mean, I think if we both had a chance to meet Hugh Jackman, we don't know what would happen. <laughs> but it's that idea of we didn't have to keep it a secret. We didn't have to use it as a fix because I feel that would be like if your ceiling, if the ceiling in your house is leaking and you just put a bucket underneath with a rack so that it doesn't make noise and you hope that it's going to fix itself like I don't need fixing this is part of who I am and I've come to understand even better in this last couple of months that I wasn't truly ever afraid of being queer or of not being straight when because I use other labels at some points in my life it was always the the anticipated pain of letting other people down, of disappointing my parents, disappointing my leaders, the shame that came with, I, I remember my dad is a police officer and he would always say, oh, women who are lesbians are so but butchy. I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> Cute accent, but small vocabulary. <laughs> but he would always make comments about that. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm attracted to women as well, because then he's going to think I'm going to look like that. And then I'm going to have to gain weight 
and always wear flannels and wear sneakers and have my backpack. Now, yes, I do have a large collection of flannels and backpacks and sneakers. And I did get a pixie haircut at some point in my life. But that was just because that was my preference. But I feel there's always it, it was just this idea of the pain that I was going to cause and the shame of keeping it a secret. So being honest with my husband from the beginning really helped me. I know there's a lot of women out there and even men that have been in marriages for 10 plus years that maybe where I were at the beginning of their relationship of their orientation, maybe they were and maybe they're finding out now and they don't know what to do. And that's also one of the, the questions that I've gotten frequently and even a recommendation that people have given me, well, you're already married to a guy. Stop talking about this. You're not queer anymore. You, you shouldn't even discuss it. You don't need to tell your kids when you have them. And people just don't see that this is like a superpower. I, I don't deal with it. I don't struggle with it. I don't fight with it it's not it's not even a situation or i i just there's so many words that i don't know if it's because i'm a non-native speaker but when i hear people say like oh yeah this person is struggling with same-sex attraction why is it a struggle or this person has same-sex attraction and i'm like has like like a cold like it can pass like it can be sold or it's temporarily and i do understand the idea of how we've been told or we've heard that it's our experience on earth and honestly we've also been told we don't really know the house we don't know and those answers might come in the afterlife and I'm pretty sure just as Christ will have questions for me on Judgment Day, I'll have a couple of questions for him that if we're fair, he should also answer. But the reality is that words have power. And this is my preference. And that's why I don't say anymore that I have same-sex attraction. That's why Liv decided that wasn't a fit for her. But everyone has to make their own decision because everyone has their own journey. And I can't assume anything about anyone. I can only share my story like I'm doing today. I can answer the questions that people that reach out to me on social media or that find me some other way and do it to the best of what I felt and my the spiritual experiences that I've had with my Heavenly Father and the relationship that I have with Him. I've had a lot of moms ask me, well, what do I do? What do I tell my child? Uh, how do I let them go here or there? How do I make them go to a young women's activity if they're trans? Or what do I tell this leader that doesn't want to let them go to camp? And I am not here as in like an earth on earth to change policies of the church. I am not here to go to every ward 
and tell every bishop or every stake president what they should do because they're in there on those leadership positions for a reason. But I am here to help people get that comfort that they need and to mourn with them if that's where they are. We renew our covenants every Sunday if we're active and taking sacrament to mourn with those that mourn, not to judge their pain, not to tell them how they should feel. There's so much gaslighting going around in our community and it's already hard. I got so many messages after the conference and honestly, I got, I got so many people telling me that I was gonna cause further kids or loved ones to commit suicide because I was being part of this scheme and I was being displayed like the example and what everyone should do. And honestly, that was not my intention. And after developing a relationship with Sister Eubank, I know that was not her intention. This was the first time, at least to my knowledge, that we used the word queer on a stage of an event that might not be church-sponsored, but we all know it <laughs> kind of is. And she fought by my side to use the term that I felt comfortable with. And I want people to know that. I know a lot of things can happen since April, both at local levels and at more public levels. But I do want people to know that there's a lot of love that wants to be, that wants to build something and to really take this message to every single corner that the church is in. And we also need to be mindful that I feel the Lord prepare me in so many ways to be there and to be strong and also gave me an amazing support system through my husband and my family that I was able to be in that position on that day. I didn't realize how much I was, how vulnerable I was after that event until we went to church on, a, on the, uh, the following testimony meeting. And I went up there and bore my testimony and I started crying because I was like, this is what's happening. And I, I was trying to do something good. And I was trying to, to be a voice and to say, hey, we are here and, and we exist and let's have more conversations. And people inside and outside the church took it in so many different ways and so many different theories. And I'll never forget that I, I went back to sit next to my husband and even Matthew told me, I didn't know this had like taken such a toll on you. Like you've been so strong and so put together and just moving on with our lives. So yeah, but at the same time that I was doing that, I was also trying 
to get pregnant and going through a treatment that is very heavy and the word in Spanish is desgastante. Like that is really like it takes so much from you that I felt like I didn't have any other option but to be strong. And then I also had this amount of people <laughs> reaching out that felt so much hope by hearing that one word that I felt like I couldn't let them down. And I did my best. A lot of times I would take a couple of days to respond. I also got a lot of people, like close people that were like, just stop answering. Shut down your social media. You don't have to go through this. And I was like, no, I do. I, I, I took it upon me because I, I was built into this. If I had been asked or invited three years ago or five years ago, I probably either would have said no or just wouldn't have survived the emotional toll that it takes afterwards. And I also appreciate that Sister Eubank kept an eye on me and would call me and email me and make sure that I was okay and that we were doing fine. My bishop was also super supportive. I had someone... I'm not going to out them, but someone called me and was like, oh, my gosh, Liv, you have to listen to this conference. There's this girl that went on stage and identify as queer. And she just reminded me so much of you. And I was like, probably because it was me. <laughs> and that's funny. <laughs> I, I just feel. There's so many people. Let me backtrack a little bit. We hear the term the gay agenda which to me is wake up queer, have breakfast queer, go to work queer, have dinner with your husband, well queer, go to bed queer. There's not really anything crazy in my agenda. We hear that, oh, we've talked so much about this. There's so many of this, so many of that. And if people would just, in my days or five years ago, we wouldn't talk about this. And why does it even need to be addressed it has to be addressed because we are part of the church. We are part of the family of Heavenly Father. We are here. We're your brother. We're your sister. We're your granddaughter, your niece. We're your neighbor. We might even be the person you've been serving with in the bishopric for years that has never felt comfortable telling you something because of comments that you've made. We are the person that you sit with at the table and so many people are still sitting in those classes, in those classrooms every Sunday or during general conference, terrified of what is going to be said and how it's going to get to them and how it's going to impact them. People, I understand that we need to stand for what's true and for the values of the church. And the reality is, we do that every single Sunday. We do that every conference. Trust me, I do not think there's a single LGBTQ plus person in the church or even that has left the church that hasn't heard about a proclamation for the family or that hasn't heard about sealing in the temple or about dating age or about the duties for young women or the duties for young men. Those are things that we speak and we talk about every single day. And when we 
don't address other populations of the church that might be in pain, that might just be lonely. We are doing a disservice as children of God, and we're not fulfilling our duty as members of the church. We think we have spoken too much about it. Well, as long as there's one person that doesn't feel part of a congregation, that's still crying alone, that's still feeling that they can go to their leaders, that they can go to their parents, then we need to keep talking about it. And we're just going to get louder. And this doesn't mean go take church on Sunday with rainbow flags and or whatever demographic flag that you want to grab. This means look at what your talents are. Look at what your strengths are, but also look at what your personal, emotional, and spiritual bandwidth can allow you to do. And then do it. Because we need to create those safe spaces. We, I have someone that told me, well, I just never know when I'm talking if I should use uh, gender neutral pronouns, for example, because I don't know if there's actually a trans person in there or a non-binary person, then just do it. What's the harm? If there's one person there that would benefit from being addressed with gender neutral pronouns, then the better. I don't think a straight person will be offended by saying folks or y'all <laughs> or something more gender neutral. So it's, if you have to make the decision between being inclusive and not being inclusive, why would you go the route that can cause harm to someone? There are so many complex things with LGBTQ plus community. There's, as I mentioned earlier, like the whole trans process and about transitions and not transitions and what some leaders allow and what some other leaders don't allow that like there's so many complications there but there are so many basic not even basic member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints things there's so many basic human things that we can do for others sometimes we feel if someone left the church or is less active or whatever term we're using now that they can't be good people anymore, that they can't give service anymore. And the reality, and I hope this doesn't come as news to anyone, but the reality is that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not have exclusivity rights to being a good human being and to be someone who cares and who gives service, and who practices charity, and who just tries to do their best. Because if that were the situation, then that would mean that before I was a member, I wasn't a good person. And I didn't learn good values from my parents, and I didn't help my neighbors, and I didn't help someone who was in need. And I just don't think that... That's what Jesus ever preached or taught. And I also think that it's important that, I don't know if this is the attorney in me or what, but we need to be willing to, to question and to ponder and to take things 
to Christ and to our Heavenly Father. I remember one of the first things the missionaries taught me was that I was to read the Book of Mormon. And every time I read something, I had to ask Heavenly Father in prayer if it was true. And as far as I know, Book of Mormon hasn't changed. And that scripture is still there. So why can we only pray and ask Heavenly Father about certain things, but others we need to take 100% as they're told? I, I always like to, well, not I wish I didn't have to do this, but I try to remember when Peter cuts the ear of the soldier and Jesus heals the soldier. And I, I like to focus on, on that part. Like Peter did what he thought was right in that moment. He was defending his master. At least that's how I think things went. They were going to apprehend Jesus. And Peter was like, this ain't going down like this because we are here to protect him and to defend what he stands for. And he chops that ear and then Jesus heals it. And sometimes we are going to be the soldier. We're going to be the ones that get hurt. And sometimes it's going to be done by someone who thinks or who truly believes that is defending Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the one that's going to heal us. That soldier probably didn't have the gospel. Who knows if he even knew what Jesus stood for. If he had ever heard of his parables or even understood them. If he had had the opportunity to hear him. He was fulfilling his duty. He was a soldier. He was sent to arrest him. And I wouldn't even say that Jesus had compassion for him. This wasn't, in my opinion, about Jesus protecting the soldier. This was about Jesus teaching Peter that what he had done had hurt someone. And that's not what Jesus did. Now, do I sometimes feel like Jesus and want to flip tables and crack my whip? I actually have a couple of whips at home. Long story, but my family is like my family hands made them. Nothing weird or kinky there. But we always need to remember that there's two sides to the story. And that we have opportunities to learn. But it's also okay to take the time for that healing and to take the time to live that pain and then come stronger. I, I hear that phrase so often, like, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. Yes, but it still leaves you with scars. It still means you need recovery. And probably ointments and medications and that we can't deny our pain. We are told, and this is also one of the phrases that I honestly had a problem when I 
first became a member of the church, everyone always wanted me to be smiling and happy and just this flowy, bubbly personality that I'm not. I'm actually nicer in English, but that's probably just because I have way more words in Spanish to express all my emotions. But I kept listening to people and hearing, oh, you need to be a good cheer. You need to be happy and people need to see the Lord through your eyes. And that's why you always have to be in this hyper mood. And it gets toxic. Let's put aside for a second the fact that I'm queer. Let's pretend. Now, I don't want to pretend that I'm straight. Let's just not focus on that part. But how could I be of good cheer when my mom has had like five different types of cancer? How can I be of good cheer when my brother has been lost to drugs since he was 14? How can I be of good cheer if I grew up in a border town and every time I cross the border, people will look at me different for my skin tone and for my accent and there was always a reason. How could I be of good cheer if I had people constantly criticizing my personality and the way I talk and even the fact that I went and got a law degree because somehow that will make me less marketable for single guys in the church, according to my leaders at the time. How can I be of good cheer? How can people be of good cheer when their loved ones leave the church? How can they be of good cheer when they see them crying? How can a mother be of good cheer when they find their kid trying to take away his life. How? We need to understand that being of good cheer does not mean being naive or ignorant to life's challenges and to life pain and reality. And we need to acknowledge that sometimes we need a break. And sometimes we sit, in, we sit in the darkness and people feel like they're doing enough by extending their hands and rescuing us. A lot of the time, I didn't need that because I couldn't even see the hand. I needed someone to go and sit next to me and to not try to justify my pain or to not try to remind me of the future blessings and all the lessons that I will learn from that experience. I just needed someone to be there for me. And that looks different for every single person in our church. And even out of our church, not everything is solved and healed with a scripture. Not everything is solved and healed with a prayer they do help and that might be the way in which you communicate but you also need to hear what the person needs i'm not saying because at some point i was inactive and i would go to gay bars and i'm not saying come to this club with me i'm just saying recognize where i am in my journey at that moment and try to understand it but not by making assumptions 
We go back to why do we keep talking about this? We keep talking about this because every time we try to get a message, it gets twisted in both sides. Every time that a leader of the church makes a statement, it seems to create division. And then there's a group that's trying to explain to you what you understood was wrong because this is what they were trying to say. And then there's this other group that says, yes, but what I understood was this. And when we, and also us as a community, sometimes like I personally, like when I told Matthew, I did it via text and I did it because I wanted him to have the time to process it. I had been thinking about my orientation for many years. This guy that I had met like 10 days before on a dating app, I couldn't expect him to understand my whole journey of my orientation in five minutes or on one date. But I did want it to be honest and I did wanted him to know what he was getting into. And he responded in the most loving way. And to some, it might even sound dismissive. And if you ask him, he probably doesn't even remember. No, not probably. He doesn't remember what he responded but it was because he was looking at me as a girl that he liked and that he wanted to keep to get to know better that happened to also be attracted to women. And we just need to give grace to others, but also give grace to ourselves. And I... I just would hope that also people were more willing to ask questions in a respectful way. Um, I think if we all ever have a com uh, time to have a conversation with Matthew, he has had some people approach him with very intimate questions <laughs> that I might be more open to discuss, but we shouldn't make those assumptions. But if you don't know how something works or doesn't work or like with me, why I use the term queer and not lesbian or same sex, same sex attraction, then find the opportunity to educate yourself and to listen to our stories and to educate yourself. And we, I feel like it's a human need to try to like put it together and what our pieces are missing. And like, I had someone that when they knew that we did IVF told me, oh, is this because you don't want to have intimacy with your husband? I'm like, no, but I'm also not in the mood today to explain to you 10 plus years of medical visits and also this little thing called HIPAA. <laughs> it, but I, it would have been different if this person would have said, hey, I know you had to do IVF. How does that impact your marriage? It's, I honestly would have probably disclosed, hey, you know what? When I was 18, I was diagnosed with this and that and go into the details. But we all, we just need to remember like that process of, of learning and asking questions has to come from a respectful place. And you also need to know what your boundaries are and what the boundaries of the person you're having a conversation with are and be aware of that. 
I speaking about the intimacy part, something that I really, really want to put out there. People keep telling me because some of them come and tell me how I feel. And also others ask me, well, don't you feel that you're dooming your husband into a life like of an intimate, unsatisfied life? Well, that's very, to me, it's just mind blowing that someone would assume that because you are in a mixed orientation marriage, your intimacy is not going to be as satisfying. But even bigger than that, who gave people the idea that all straight marriages have a satisfying, intimate life or life in general? Like, that would like there's so many straight couples that I know that get divorced or just can't even talk about their intimate life because they don't know how to or they think it's shameful or they just never receive the education to do so. If anything, my husband and I went into a marriage already knowing that there might be some differences and that we would have to communicate properly to know what worked or didn't work for us. But I... And I, I actually have so many friends, female friends, that are, well, it's just, I don't know how to tell my husband this. I had a friend that ended up in the ER on her wedding night because they had no idea how the human body worked. And to me, it was like, wait, what? Like, how? You went to college. How do you know? No, like, it's just, How? And I asked her and then she explained, well, my parents always opted me out of these classes. And I was taught that when the moment came, the Lord was going to guide us. I hope this doesn't sound disrespectful. But when I'm being intimate with my husband, the last thing in my mind is the Lord. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like our marriage it is founded in Christ, but there are certain needs as a human being that I don't want to go and pray and ask Heavenly Father about body functions. But it is important to have that education. And it goes back to those assumptions. This will, we'll find out, we'll figure it out, it, it will work out. And it just comes full cycle. If Someone decides that a mixed orientation marriage is what they're looking for, then they also need to be aware that there's going to be work in there. But there's going to be work in any marriage, actually, in any relationship. I have my parents that I love them. And last year, there was a very personal situation that I didn't talk to my mom for almost a month, if not longer. And people that were aware of what was going on would tell me, well, you're a member of the church. You need to forgive her and move on. And I was like, D you don't understand. Like, this was a life-changing event that had been hidden from me for my whole life. And the fact that I wasn't in a place where I could talk to her in the same way 
It didn't mean that I hated her. It didn't mean that I didn't value everything she had done for me and that I didn't value her as a mother and as a wife and as a woman. It just needed that in that moment, our relationship was not in a place where we could have the same trust and honesty that we had had for years. When people see that I have female friends, like, well, don't your husband, doesn't your husband get jealous of your friends? What is he going to think if you go out with them to the movies or go shopping? I'm like, he's going to think I'm going to go hang out with my friends. He, my husband loves D and D and every Saturday, well, no, every other Saturday he plays on his campaign with his friends. I, do not understand D&D. It's too complicated for me. And I know that's his time. And I trust him that he's going to be playing with his friends. There are girls in that group. There are men in that group. There, like, there's a girl he used to date in that group. So if, I'm, if I feel the need to scout every single friendship, that my husband has and make sure that I know what they're doing and why they're doing it and what they're talking about and how, like what's going on. And I don't know, check his messages or whatever. Those are bigger issues than our orientation. The fact that I'm attracted to women or well, that I'm not, I would say actually the right thing would say that I'm not only attracted to my husband, it doesn't mean that every situation or every interaction that I have with another person has the potential for me to be unfaithful or for me to betray the trust that we have as a couple. And I also think that's a huge misconception around, around the LGBTQ people. Somehow, either you're fully in the church and like, I don't know, all covered and long hair and all that. Or you have left the church and you're going on the pride parade on a skimpy outfit with feathers and glitter. Now, I wish I could pull off an outfit with feathers and glitter. I don't do it just because I don't feel comfortable with my body. And that's my decision. But in being LGBTQ Plus, whatever you are in, in that rainbow doesn't mean that you're automatically a sexual devi deviant. That's the word, right? And a lot of times, sadly, that's what I, that's the conclusion that I've seen people jump into. And that's also, like, I've seen people being released of their callings as soon as they come out to their leaders. And it's usually because they have callings with the youth or with primary. And th that's also something that I, I want to connect back to uh, the BYU conference. A lot of people said, well, of course she belongs and she's a young women's president because she's active and she's temple worthy and she's married to a man. So it just makes sense. I actually got, so it was interesting. Back home, and by this I mean Mexico, I hadn't come out to one of my leaders, well, to my bishop, I was teaching primary. I got a pixie haircut. And the next Sunday after my haircut, I was released from my calling 
because I was setting a bad example by cutting my hair so short, which was an irony if you ask me, because usually we have at least one member of the primary presidency with a pixie haircut. Just something that I want to tell my bishop. But anyway, then, of course, those little things are like, if I am setting such a bad example by getting this haircut, how would I even feel comfortable coming out to this person and telling them how I feel? Fast forward, when I came out to one of my bishops here in Utah, afterwards, a couple of weeks later, I was called to serve in the primary. So I want people to understand, and especially leaders, if they're listening to this, I did not get my calling in the church because I'm in a mixed orientation marriage. I got callings before that, serving in primary, after being out to my leadership. And when I was in, in that ward and I was teaching in primary, I came out to my uh, co-teacher, I think is the term. And she was very comfortable with it. No one ever made me feel, oh, you're putting the kids at risk or you might teach them something inappropriate. I also had purple hair and blue hair and green hair and all the colors here. And the kids are way more accepting than we give them credit for. I had a very tender experience with them in which one of, I, we were talking about our favorite colors. One of the kids was kind of ashamed to say his favorite color was pink. And then this other kid, and this was the CTR7 class. This other kid came and said, that's okay. Purple, uh, pink is a nice color. That can be your favorite color. Sister, <laughs> Sister Mendoza has hair, has pink hair. So it looks good on her. That's fine. And we moved on with our lives. And yes, we do. At that moment, I didn't open up to, oh, have a whole conversation about diversity and inclusion and this and that. Because as a leader in that moment and in general, I think everyone should be respectful of other boundaries, as I mentioned before, especially when you're doing when you're working with children or with youth that you don't know what they're being told at home. But it's important that we realize and we move away from this idea of, oh, someone came out to me. I better make sure they don't even go near the primary room or the youth class or my kids are going to start asking questions. Well, guess what? If your kids start asking questions and you don't know the answer, you should start educating yourself to be able to educate your children. I, I don't know. It's maybe because I was raised in such a religious family, but my parents never, ever expected it. The priest in our Catholic church or my teachers at school when I went to Catholic school to explain religious doctrines to me. My parents, even though they only went to elementary school, they were not highly educated people. They didn't read a lot. They would always find a way to learn and answer the questions that I had. And that's one of the biggest examples that I've received in my life. Even my mom is terrified of mention of calling body parts by their name. Terrified. 
So when I started asking questions, she saved up money and she bought these two books and a VHS and sat down with me and my sister. My sister's 11 years older than me. And she told me and she admitted, she was like, you know what? I would never receive this talk from my mom. We just didn't do it. I got married when I was 18. No one ever explained anything to me. I don't know how to explain this. And I'm embarrassed even to look at these books. But I recognize that you want to know. And even your sister is more educated than I am. So I'm just going to sit here while you girls go through the books and look at this movie. I'm going to make sure with you that it's appropriate. And then if we have questions, we'll go to the doctor and we'll solve them together. That's cool. And it was, I mean, honestly, it was a labor, like a delivery video. So that was the best, like, love, chastity, enforcer that I could have received as a child. But I feel like sometimes we expect our leaders in the church or certain schools to be the ones that raise our kids and give them the good values and the good examples. But if we've learned anything with the pandemic, with the changes in home-centered study of the scriptures, is that educating that part is an obligation of the parents. And now some people might say, well, it's easy for you. You don't have your kids yet. You don't like, it's barely in the oven. But I'm also the one who has been put in the spot and got asked questions by my niece, by kids that I run into at events in which I'm speaking, either North Star events or other invitations or people that just send their children to me and say, hey, can you answer this? Or how my trans uh, male to female kid can do about serving in the church when she's not allowed anymore to bless the sacrament or to pass the sacrament. And again, I also don't have all the answers. I wish I had them. I wish I could respond to every single person and that it would just become law or something. But I stand by my words even after this couple months and after whatever events happened from April till now, you cannot go wrong with loving someone. You just can't. Now, for some people, that would mean standing next to their gay child at their same-sex wedding. And for some other people, it might be allowing their kids to come home with whatever partner they decide. Some other people might have different boundaries. But at the end of the day, that kid, whatever age they are, whatever gender they identify with, whatever pronouns they use, whatever name they change to, it's still your child. And more important, it's still a child of God that we need to treat with respect and with love. I know I'm only like 27 weeks pregnant and we had a long, long, long discussion about the baby's name. And something that my husband and I talked about was, is this a name that if something were to happen, 
like it's gonna be born and it's gonna be identified as a male if something changed in the future would he be able to go by a different name well as much love and thought that we put into his name if at some point our kid decides that that's not something they're comfortable with it's not gonna stop being my kid and we are gonna be aware that well it was a family name and we liked it and we went with it but my first name is jessica which there's a long story of why i don't like that name and why i don't go by that name and people have gotten used to it and they call me live and that's what makes me happy and that's what gives me strength because that was even though i'm not trans that was one of the first decisions that i could make for myself to leave a painful past behind that had nothing to do with the church it was for other decisions and i just feel that things can change any moment i understand even as an early stage parent that i have hopes and dreams for my kid i have this plan in my head of what i want for him and what i want what we want for our family but i do not know what's going to happen tomorrow and all that i can do is make sure that and i, I told matthew this actually when we first got pregnant There were so many challenges that I told him every day that we keep this baby with us. It's a miracle. And if something were to happen, we know we loved him and that we gave him the best fighting chance that we could. I would not be true to my personal desire to be a mom if when this baby came to earth, I didn't do everything in my power to make sure he knows he's loved and that he's a child of God. This doesn't mean that I'm gonna push any agenda on him. This doesn't mean that I'm trying to convert him. And <laughs> this just means that I'm gonna be by his side. And I'm, we are gonna do our best to teach him what we believe in we're gonna do our best to teach him about the savior and to help him gain a testimony but he's gonna have to make his own decisions and i can only imagine when heavenly father saw us come to earth that's what he thought because that's the plan that won that one that would allow us to make our decisions when my parents found out that i was had been baptized and a member of the church my dad told me as long as you believe in christ we might be in different positions but you're still a faithful person and all i care about is that you're a good person if i see you mistreating someone or being rude or being judgmental then we'll have a problem i don't have a problem with you being a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints i would have a problem with you being a bad person and i think That's all we can ask for. If you are, if you feel lost and you came across this podcast for whatever reason, I just want you to know that 
we all wondered at some point for many different reasons. And our paths might and will look different. But it's not a path that has to be taken alone. If you decide to come out or stay in the closet, if you decide to talk to your leaders or not talk to your leaders, that is your decision. And do not think that you need to be fixed or that you need a cure because you are loved. You are perfect and there is no shame of being true to yourself, but there's also power in owning your journey. Um, there's so many things I'd love to say right now. We're kind of at the hour mark and there's so many listeners have been blessed what you've said, Liv. Just, I hope listeners reckon Liv didn't look down on any notes. <laughs> She didn't have this all prepared. She just spoke from her heart for 60 minutes and taught us the gospel of Jesus Christ, taught us how to minister, taught us how to bear, mourn, and comfort. I want to just um, share a couple thoughts and then let Liv leave any closing thoughts. I love the words that Sister Bingham, the General President of Relief Society, used when she introduced you because I think they're words for all of us that are trying to create Zion. And this, even though she's speaking about the Relief Society, I think this applies churchwide. The promise of the Relief Society is that we can become a Zion society, Sister Bingham said. When we look at one another from an eternal perspective, we can see each other as an eternal sister. But there is need for improvement, Sister Bingham said. Studies have shown that the number one reason people leave religion is they feel judged or unwelcome. This is cited more often than doctrinal disagreement or lack of belief. The good news, she said, is the situation can practically be eliminated if we open our arms and hearts to everybody. To that end, Sister Eubank um, invited her friend, Jessica Liv. I'm just going to call you Liv. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give you the whole name there, Liv Mendoza Haynes, um, to talk about her experience as a self-identified queer latter saint. She said she's never been hurt by the gospel, Liv said, but what members have said to her. And so I just love that the General Relief Society presidency is there wanting to create Zion. Um, representation matters. Stories matter. And to have you step forward and share your story gives so much hope to other queer Latter-day Saints. And I realize it puts you in a tough spot because some have left the church and want you to leave the church to... Yeah validate their story and you talked about that and some say why do you need to talk about this it's making me a little uncomfortable but listeners and i think a lot of you understand this i love one of the things i love about elder ballard's talk about stay in the boat is i think part of it is our responsibility to create a bigger boat so that more people feel like they can stay and so live is helping us create a bigger boat and i have learned Liv is strong, she's courageous, she's bold, um, and, and we may have a, an expectation for women in the church that they shouldn't be queer, that they shouldn't be strong, that they shouldn't be bold, that they shouldn't acknowledge pain, they should always be happy, and 
I get really tender-hearted for what Liz, Liv has just taught us, because to me, she's taught us how to make a bigger boat. And fitting is about assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be to fit in. And you describe that in so many ways. But belonging, which is what the General Release Society is trying to accomplish, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And that's a Brene Brown quote that's foundational to really everything we do on this podcast. But we are better off with living the boat. But we need, you know, straight Latter-day Saints, men. <laughs> um, and it's a little uncomfortable for us sometimes to realize, to kind of look inward and say, you know, I need to let go of some of the things I've brought with me. Um, I like this quote from Elder Uchtdorf because um, it's, it's um, I put it in my book, it's, we can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? So I knew a lot of things about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints until I started listening to their stories, and then I realized I didn't know very much. And so we've got to hear stories. And um, and then, because I love the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what brought you into the church was our unique mm-hmm. doctrine. You had great doctrine as a Catholic. It taught you about Christ. There's so much good there. And you didn't really get into that, but it was just unique restored doctrine that brought you into our church. But right now, I think... We need to do what the General Release Society is challenging us to do, and other leaders, Elder Gong's talk, let's make room at the end. But part of making room at the end is willing to look inward and say, what do I need to do? And part of it is hearing Liv's story. And then Liv serves as a young women's president. How cool is that? <laughs> um, and, and sort of getting past some of these things that Liv is talking to us. We can't have queer people in church leadership because younger queer people need to see older queer people in leadership in the church. And that's what I love that the General Relief Society presidency did when they gave you representation. Representation matters. So, um, and I love your marriage. You know, we talk about mixed orientation marriages. I wrote about the book, but I've just, that's one of the spirit, greatest spiritual rebukes I've had in this space is I thought all those failed. And I, and I recognize that they're incredibly beautiful, authentic marriages, and often they start out just like you did, you and Matthew being honest and vulnerable and trust and communication. And to me, those are the hallmarks of a successful marriage and a healthy marriage. And so I don't sit on the sidelines and try to judge anybody's marriage listeners. That's not our job. Let's just hope all marriages succeed and not try to figure out who's more of the hero or Let's, and let's not get into, let's just want everybody's marriage to succeed and recognize every marriage is authentic and real and whole. And the other thing that I love about Liv is sharing is that <clears throat> everybody has their own story. And one of the things I think we need to do, extend grace to everybody's story and not use, and just every story is important, but don't weaponize other people's stories. Liv is so careful and if one story doesn't fit you, that's fine. But let's don't make that story then not valid or threatened to you. It's part of grace. It's part of maturity is to hear other stories. If you're LGBTQ, I think hearing other stories helps you. But you've got to write your story. And you've got to own your story going forward and work with your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Parents to do that. So, you know, I'm going to turn it back to you, but live you are bold, you are strong, you're courageous. 
you're authentic, you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've given us a lesson on ministering, you've given us a lesson on belonging, um, those young women are lucky to have you, I don't think, I'm sorry to say this out loud, you know this, I don't think you're going to have more queer women because you're queer, <laughs> more queer men in your ward, but any that are, you know, are going to feel just a little safer if they come out to you or just feel like there's a little place for them. And you probably don't talk about that every lesson, obviously, <laughs> and, you know, but I think we just need to learn how to have our straight members and our queer members um, be put to work to build Zion. Um, it's good for them, but it's also good for us. That's one of the things I've learned is my queer friends, I'm using that label more and more these days than LGBTQ, um, are helping me know the gospel of Jesus Christ and are teaching me things that no one else has ever taught me about Christ's mission and, and principles of ministering and inclusion and love and compassion. Um, and so we need our queer members, not just because it's good for them, it's good for the church, for what they mm -hmm. can teach us. And we need their voices and we need their representation. And often it's the marbles of God didn't marginalize queer people. <laughs> as you, you own this part of yourself, there's no shame as you talk, Liv. There was no shame as you talked. I hope you recognize that. You own this part about you. It's beautiful. You celebrate it in an appropriate way. And, and to me, that's just what heavenly parents would want in you. But um, we need your voice um, because it helps us create Zion. It helps us fulfill what Paul talked about in Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ. And we just have work to do, listeners. It's a painful space. It's painful, especially for queer Latter-day Saints, as they're in this space. They can't leave it. Allies could technically leave the space if they wanted to, but you can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so anyway, there's just a lot of people you're helping, and um, my love to you and Matthew and this future boy, I think about this future boy and what kind of parents he's going to have and the principles you know to help him understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and walk with him as he's making his way forward. He's lucky to come into your home. So I'll turn it back to you for any final comments. I just want to say, because I don't want to cry, <laughs> we, I'm really bad at quoting talks <laughs> but i'm pretty sure people will recognize that there was someone <laughs> who said all voices are needed in our choir and i'm 100 misquoting it but the idea is that and when i joined the church that was one of the things that made me feel the most uncomfortable not the quote because i don't remember the timeline but the fact that i i couldn't sing I can't sing at all. Like, I'm terrible. And I felt like I would hear all these women with their beautiful voices, just like they sounded like angels. And I felt, what can I even do for them? What, how can I even enjoy them? Like, people try to teach me how to sing, and I just couldn't. But... At the end of the day, and we see it whenever we hear the Tabernacle Choir, it's not only the people that we see on stage with their beautiful, magical voices. It's all the musicians. It's all the people that prepare their outfits, 
that make sure the audio is working, that the broadcast is working, the director, the people that are not even here anymore that wrote the songs or the arrangements. The choir of Heavenly Father goes beyond the voices that we hear. It's every single person that has put their talent, their skills, and their hard work to make this go on. So if you're like me and you can't sing, that doesn't mean you can't be part of this choir. And we don't help anyone by reminding them of what they can't do. We help one another by finding what they can do to shine. So many of our brothers and sisters, and especially our youth, see all the blessings or opportunities that they're missing out on by being different. And we need to do a better job at reminding them of everything they can do. There's always, always a way to be the hands of Jesus Christ on earth and help perform his miracles. And we need to get better at finding those ways and showing them to one another. What a great closing segment. Um, Liv Mendoza Haynes, your husband Matthew, who's here with you, you two are just great. You give me hope for the future of our church, for the future of the world, as you bring us closer to the things that Christ taught and implemented that in real life. And I mentioned my book a little bit on the podcast every now and then, but if you listeners are new to this podcast, I wrote a book. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And it just has hundreds of stories like Liv just to help us understand. Stories changed my heart in this space. I had to hear stories. So I just invite you to go to this book, read other church, um, other books from um, LGBTQ authors. North Star has many stories there. There's a great way for you to just learn more about creating a bigger boat and, and seeing everybody as the same human family. So this is Richard Osler and Liv signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>